This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 16, Episode 51. This is Writing Excuses. Promises are a structure. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Kayla. I'm Sandra. And I'm Meg. And I'm so excited to have three brand new to you guests, guest hosts, hosts, here <laughs> with us on Writing Excuses. We're going to go ahead and start by letting them introduce themselves. Kayla, take it away. Hi, everybody. I'm Kayla Rivera. I am the author of Cicerios and the Desert of Souls, a middle grade a Latinx fantasy about a girl who becomes a bruja in order to rescue her kidnapped sister. It also just last month um, or recently has won the Charlotte Huck Award for 2022. So that was really exciting. <laughs> Outstanding. Now, you say just last month and then you say recently you realize this air, this episode is going to do something that very few of our episodes ever do. It's going to air the day after we record it. <gasps> well, then I'll stick with a month ago. <laughs> Fantastic. Congratulations. Sandra. Hi, I'm Sandra Taylor. Um, I'm a writer of speculative fiction, picture books, and uh, blog entries. Um, my most recently published books are Strength of Wild Horses and Hold On to Your Horses, which are a pair of picture books. Um, but I also write short stories, which I post to my Patreon, and you can uh, find it over at Patreon slash Sandra Taylor. Um, I'm also the Sandra of which Howard sometimes mentions uh, at various times I'm writing excuses um, because uh, we share a house and some children and a business. <laughs> And Sandra is uh, Sandra is understating a little bit her latest books. Every time a Sherlock mercenary book comes out, <clears throat> it has seen the editorial hand of Sandra in all of the content, and the layout hand of Sandra Taylor in everything. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and Sandra's done a bunch of writing for the uh, the new Extreme Dungeon Mastery book that's coming it's out. Sister. So yes, lots of stuff. I sometimes have to remind Sandra how awesome she is. I was trying um, to be brief. <laughs> brief. Brief is fine. Brief is right. fine. Yeah. But, okay. Meg. Megan. Hi. Meg. Hi, everyone. I really just have one name, but it just sounds weird when you pair it with my last name. So, my name is Megan Lloyd. I am a storyboard artist and screenwriter working in the animation industry out in Los Angeles. I've storyboarded on a number of really cool shows. Some of my favorite that have released recently are Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous and Star Trek Lower Decks. On top of my work as a board artist, I also write and do development art for projects early on in the can, let's say. So you, early on and, and, you know, on is one of those anywhere a cat can go prepositions Another anywhere a cat can go preposition is under, as in under non-disclosure. Yes, that, <laughs> that's the one. <laughs> that, and I mentioned cat because uh, for those of you not benefiting from the visual video feed, which is pretty much everybody except the four of us, uh, Meg has a cat 
perched on the back of her chair, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. I don't know adorable. how you get cats to do that. All right. Very cute. Promises are a structure. For the next, next eight episodes, we are going to talk about promises and expectations as a structural layer, layer as a... Um, as a troubleshooting tool, as a way in which you can look at what you're working on and determine whether or not you're correctly setting expectations, whether you're making promises that you plan to keep, whether you're, uh, uh, what, what's the, what's the jargon, you know, writing checks that are going to bounce. Um, uh, I was tempted because this is an eight-episode intensive, I was tempted to call it sunglasses, eight expectations, explosion. <laughs> but then I would have to then I would have to enumerate this, break it into eight discrete parts, because eight expectations is making a promise that <laughs> I'm not actually prepared to keep. This is a little more fluid than that. Um, I do want to do want to lay out something though that uh, promises and expectations are not are not truly interchangeable terms in marketing audience expectations are things that you set or that you need to be aware of when you are doing your when you're doing your marketing um, they and an audience will bring their expectations with them uh, before anything has happened. Uh, when we talk about promises, usually that's because something you have said or done or written or put on the cover or whatever has made some sort of a promise to the reader, has set their expectations for something which is coming. Um, I also want to point out that audience bias is huge here. Now, I've just done a lot of talking. Um, I'm going to well, throw I, this one to our – Sandra, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say uh, that last piece that you mentioned is is a huge piece because anytime you create a thing, audience is going to arrive at the thing with a head full of stuff that you have no control over. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the most important things you, as you are setting expectations, it is important to – have a feel for kind of the zeitgeist and kind of the the societal, uh, you know, if you if you place your book as a fantasy novel, then the world at large is going to have a set of stuff in their head that they think fits fantasy novel. And if yours doesn't fit, then you have to adjust their expectations for what you mean. Um, and, and so it becomes, um, expectations is always a conversation with audience. Um, and sometimes it's a conversation that is like a, a message in space where you package it all up and then send it out and wait a minute and a half to get a response. And you hope that you packaged it well. Other times it's much more conversational where you can actually adjust on the fly. Um, but, uh, uh, I would agree with that. I would also say that it, there's an interesting way that this interacts with, like, say, diversity uh, in literature, that when people come in, they don't have any expectations or they have very unfortunate expectations yeah. or they have such an unfamiliarity 
with the subject matter that they expect to be taught everything um, versus like, for example, writing CC, which is um, it's a complete alternate fantasy world, but it is set in uh, inspired by the setting of Mexico in the 1920s to 30s, which is a very unfamiliar place and time for most people. Uh, and so there was a lot of difficulties in getting initially getting uh, people to be willing to take that adventure on a fantasy in that kind of a space versus a medieval a medieval English sort of set fantasy. Um, because again, you can't, you can't write everything for everybody's expectations either. No, and I, I love that you bring up uh, the diversity angle because this is actually, and I'm sure you actually have more personal experience than I do, but uh, a lot of times uh, publishing expectations for what we are looking for mean that some of the more um, diverse and, and uh, alternate viewpoint uh, novels get bounced because they don't meet publishing expectations. Yeah. Um, and, and that is actually a lot of what the conversation about let's, let's broaden at what we're offering is making more space for people to, to read works in which they are not centered and, mm-hmm. and learn how to, um, how to engage with works that ask them to stretch a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Let me let me uh, uh, point out here that during the next during the next eight episodes, we're going to talk about how uh, how genre the genre you're working in, um, and that can be that can be what we call the bookshelf genre, which is you know where the publisher has put your book, or the elemental genre, which is what you think you're really writing to. Um, how those make promises and, you know, set audience expectations, um, as well as uh, what kind of prose you use, uh, what kind of cover art shows up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how weird it would be to have, say, a paranormal romance that doesn't have a a magical looking female on the cover anywhere. That would just be odd. Um, uh, the the promises made by, uh, by foreshadowing the promises made, um, and then broken by red herrings. These are all things that we're going to cover. Um, what I'd like to talk about now is, are there some good examples of things that you've consumed? And it can be books, it can be media, it can be anything. Good examples of something that made a promise and then kept it for you in a way that was wonderful. Oh, there are so many. It's like, it, but you know, you ask that question. Of course, my brain goes completely blank, I, even though I've had time to study before. Um, right now, <clears throat> currently airing um, is Hawkeye on on Disney Plus, and they've got one episode left, and it feels like they're going to land it. Like all the way through, it's been kind of. Uh, predictable for me in a delightful way. It's like, oh, this is going to happen next. And then it does. And it makes me happy every time um, because, because they've set an expectation and then they delivered it and they made me laugh a little bit. And, and so right now for me, Hawkeye is landing in this sweet spot of being exactly what I'm expecting and yet not being boring for it. Um, so I, I'm really enjoying that one. What about you, Meg? 
I'm going to plug the Netflix animated series Arcane, mm. uh, which the the expectation is, wow, this art style is beautiful. Will it look like this all the way through? Yes, it does. Uh, and not only that, but they're telling a very compelling and emotional story that, like Sandra said, sometimes you can see what's coming only because how they've set it up. Um, but it's a very satisfying show to watch, especially from a character development standpoint and also visually beautiful. Yeah. I wanted to bring up uh, just very briefly um, Star Trek Lower Decks because mm-hmm. that opening scene in you know, of the first episode where they're, you know, he's trying to record a captain's log and, and then we find out he's not actually a captain. He's... And so this expectation has been set that we are going to take Star Trek tropes and we're going to turn them on their head. And then she's pulling things out of a box and, and you realize, oh, and it's going to throw all the Star Trek nerdery at us as well, all of the trivia. And then she accidentally slices deep into his leg with the bat lep and, and we roll credits and we realize, oh, and this is going to do some ridiculous things. Um, so yeah, lower lower decks has been great. Before we move any further, though, I want to plug, or one of us should plug, the book of the week. Who's got that? I do. I'm excited. Um, so I chose for the book of the week uh, the monster at the end of this book, which is an old uh, <laughs> back from my child little golden book. Sesame Street book with Grover the monster. And I love it for talking about expectations because it's right there in the title. You are promised in the title that there is going to be a monster at the end of this book. And then the entire book is about Grover being scared that there's going to be a monster coming at the end of the book. And then when you turn to the last page, Grover discovers that the monster at the end of the book is him because he is a monster <laughs> and it is all safe and adorable. And, and throughout the whole book, it's very interactive with a child because, you know, Oh, don't turn the page. Don't turn the page. You'll get us closer to the monster. And, uh, but I really love it because it totally sets up an expectation and then walks you through and then right at the end twists it to make the monster safe. And, and, it, and it's a delightful joy-filled romp. And so if you are unfamiliar with this book, I highly recommend you go check it out and pick it up um, because it is a true classic. I love the illustrations where, you know, Grover has built this barrier. Now you can't turn the page. I've bricked it up. And you turn the page and the next page is covered in brick rubble (laughs) because you smashed through the wall that, that Grover made. Um. I want to take a moment now to talk about talk about some apexes, um, uh, exemplars and failures, and and the apex. What what I've been told is apex middle ground. Uh, have any of you seen Million Dollar Baby? No. <laughs> I yeah, makes sense. <laughs> uh, I have not. I was young when it came out and therefore not encouraged to go to the theater to see this movie mostly because of I think what you're going to talk about the unexpected twist in the middle that completely changes the expectation of 
I thought this was going to be a fun sports movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and here's what's fun about it and why it's, it's an apex example of this middle ground. It has 90% positive critical reviews and 90% positive audience reviews across thousands of reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of weird because when the movie came out, all I remember hearing was audience noise about, hey, you promised me a sports movie, and then you gave me something that was actually about euthanasia. Um, and that's not that that's not young people in the Far East, that's euthanasia, all one word. Um, very deep, very, very dark. Um, but what it did, it did brilliantly. Um, my, uh, I'm sorry, Roomba, I don't know if you can hear the beep, but Roomba is behind me saying something about, I'm charged, I need attention. Just wants to be, the, just wants the to be floor's dirty. Please, just please let me eat. Know I don't know what Roomba wants. Um, <laughs> my best example of an apex failure is the Tropicana Pure Premium art, where in January of 09, they replaced the orange with a straw stuck in it with a glass with orange juice in it. And they paid like $30 million to an ad agency, to a marketing firm to create this. And they, their sales dropped 20%. Uh, they replaced the old artwork a month later and the whole debacle, debacle cost them well over $50 million. Apex exemplars. Do we have another Apex exemplar? We need to wrap this up and uh, begin talking about um, about some of the specifics that we can be doing for making promises in our next episode. So who's got an Apex exemplar for us? Uh, I have an example. Uh, so I think that the Lunar Chronicles actually does a great job of this. Um, I know I've talked with people about when you're really excited about the kind of idea that someone's pitching you, but they don't really lean into it and the story kind of swerves off. And that's really easy to do in a series as well, because you've got multiple entries into this gargantuan story. Uh, but the Lunar Chronicles, at least for me, did an excellent job of what it set out to do. I mean, it was like, hey, we're going to do fairy tales, but it's in a futuristic sci-fi setting. How about that? And I was like, I'm down. I want to hear more. Cinderella's a cyborg. Keep talking. Mm -hmm. And with each story, it does that. Um, where you get a really strong first entry and it's and it also creates it culminates across the books into an overall very satisfying rebellion story where you can actually buy that the rebellion has happened and that it will work um, and how each main character does this. But I love how it delivers even more than you expect. Like you get the second entry in the series, um, which is about it, it, it's a retelling of. Red Riding Hood and the Wolf, right? But by the end of the series, they have done that story. So it is also Beauty and the Beast. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's also Beauty and the Beast. They did two for one. Uh, and then Rapunzel being, Rapunzel being, you know, there's no tower that makes sense in a sci-fi setting. She's stuck in a satellite. And you're like, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. That's, you get all of the isolation, all of the same issues, but it makes so much sense in its setting. And each person adds up across the series to a really satisfying closure. Uh, the Snow White makes sense because from the beginning, there's the evil queen already that you know about from all books. And then you find out like near the end, you're like, oh, wait a second. Before you get to that last book, you find out she has a stepdaughter and you're like, oh, 
is it going to be Snow White? And then you open the last book and it is. And it's, yeah. it's, it's such a great delivery on That's everything awesome. that you were hoping for. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, we are out of time and I have your homework. So consider your newest favorite thing. It can be a restaurant, a film, a TV series, novel, webcomic, computer game, whatever. Ask yourself what promises this thing made to you? What expectations were set for you for this thing? And now, and, and, you know, write this down and then ask yourself why you believed those promises would be kept and how they were or were not kept. So there's your homework. We're going to have seven more episodes about promises and expectations, and we hope you're here for all seven. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Your hosts for this episode were Howard Taylor, Kayla Rivera, Sandra Taylor, and Megan Lloyd. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 